Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Justin, a.k.a. Just Tries, and we're always talking vulnerability, learning, and growth mindset. No sponsors yet, so go to Just Keep Learning for content and more episodes geared toward helping you not just set goals, but achieve them too. We have a goal to help millions of people be lifelong learners and get their ambitions off the ground, so be sure to hit us up and let us know how we can help. Our guest today is a philosopher at heart and a Toastmasters speaking champion. He decided school wasn't for him for now and focuses his time building businesses that A, help others, and B, allow him to focus on what he sees most valuable in life. In this episode, we have great conversations about resilience. As an immigrant to Canada who didn't speak English, we also discuss starting on social media and how to be patient while finding your focus. He's a great role model for the modern entrepreneur as he is always building, measuring, and learning while asking, does this help my community? Please welcome to episode 10 of the Learned Podcast, Noah Maraby. Let's say you're waiting for a bus and someone waiting with you asks who you are and what you do. What's your response? First response is I'm an entrepreneur. I find solutions to problems. That's the short, that's the short answer. A lot of people ask me, what do you do? And uh, first thing I say, I'm an entrepreneur. And they're like, all right, what do you mean by entrepreneur? And then I start explaining a bit more about what I do. And so if you built that out, because that's a perfect pitch, sort of mission statement and vision, like that you solve people's problems and you build it out to explain a little bit of the problems you've solved so far. What's your experience as an entrepreneur? I have the most experience in two fields. The first field is personal development and transformation in general and, and whatever it encompasses in terms of like categories. And then digital marketing and business uh, sales funnels and sales in general. This is another category. I worked in both for about six to seven years. So my experience is building up bit by bit. In terms of how you got to that point, like, and you can go as far back as you want to like little Noah growing up with dreams and goals to where you are now. What's kind of that short life story that got us to this place you're at now? I don't know how I got a, a book called The Secrets. You probably know it, right? And uh, I was I was 16 years old. I was with my cousin, all right? Uh, we were really close and like we, we used to talk about everything. And uh, I think I, I found the book. I found the book at my sister's place that somebody bought it for her and she never read it. And I took the book and I started reading it. And I finished the entire thing in like one or two days. And then I went to my cousin. I'm like, look, we need to talk. And uh, we were at the beach and I sat down on the table. He was in front of me and I just slammed the book on the table. I said, this is it. He's like, what do you mean? I started explaining that, you know, your thoughts, eventually they, they manifest into things. And of course, it's a lot more complicated than that. When I think back at, at how I used to interpret the secret, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of childish. But I was 16. I didn't know anybody. And but, but that. That book, it, it showed me that I can dream and that I can use my imagination to start creating a future. Uh, whatever I wanted, just do really just imagine and then I can start working towards it. So I started imagining. I started thinking, where do I want to go? What do I want to achieve? And things started to build up. I, back then, you know, I just wanted to join law school and be a lawyer. 
because my sister and my brother, they're lawyers. And obviously like, you know, Hey, that's the obvious thing to do. But then I was like, no, I like speaking. I like writing. I like talking to people and things started to change. And then bit by bit, I started reading books, started reading a lot of books, watching videos, taking courses. And bit by bit, I started building this, this knowledge. And with it came a vision of where I want to go. So it all started with one book, to be, to be honest, started with one book. And it was just a chain of events that, that, that brought me here today, really. I think anyone who thinks of the secret in general terms, they think of that idea of manifestation dreaming big. And if you envision it, you can achieve it. Mm. What are some of those dreams or visions that you've had over the years? First was to come to Canada. And I did. Uh, it took me three years. I had the goal. It took me three years. But then I came to Canada. And, it, and when I landed here, it was, it was one of, that's one of my favorite memories. I can remember it so vividly, something that I did. Second thing I wanted to do is I had a fear of public speaking. I couldn't speak in public. I couldn't even raise my hand in class to ask questions, literally. And, and the day I spoke in, um, in the district competition and the international speech contest in front of hundreds of people, like my, my speech, my speech, Justin, was about imagination. And I said to people that day, you know, hundreds of people, and I said to them, I said, I imagined myself on that stage months ago and that's why i'm here the third thing is i wanted to have to build sources of passive income so i can stop worrying about working for money and then doing something i'm passionate about having having the power or having this freedom to do something i love make money out of it and then have my own time to work on what I'm passionate about. And I think those are the three major pillars that started in my head, they started in my imagination, and they became reality. Let's go back for a second to the idea of setting the goal to come to Canada. Where were you and what roadblocks were in your way to get to Canada and what did you have to overcome to make that a reality? So. I was in Lebanon beforehand, and I, I grew up there. I lived there my entire life. First obstacle was obviously English. Like, uh, I learned Arabic, and in school, we learned French. So, so my education was French initially, and I had to pick up English. So obviously, I started watching a lot of movies with no subtitles, reading books, watching YouTube videos to kind of pick up and learn the language. I started just messaging people online, people from um, people from Canada or the US or the UK, and just, you know, saying, I want to get to know them better and then get on the phone with them and talk and I start building that. And, and my brother has been living here for almost 20 years now. And he helped me a lot throughout the process. But it wasn't easy. And it was stressful. Uh, it takes time. You know, it does take time. A lot of people were skeptical. I was skeptical at one point. But I just, I just said, you know, if you really believe in this and you put your heart and soul into it and you try your best and you keep trying, it's going to work out to the point where I had, imagine I had my backpacks, I had everything packed. I had all my stuff packed even before I got my visa to Canada. So it was a no brainer. 
Like I cut all the ways out. I was like, this is the one way I want to take and I'm going to do my best to take it. I'm going to try my best. And it happens. There's a lot of obstacles. Like, you know, uh, I think the obstacles were more about when I came to Canada, when I got here, because even though I have family, um, my brother uh, drove me to Ottawa. I chose Ottawa as the city. And he dropped me off in an Airbnb. And he said, all right, you have the Airbnb for a couple of days. And then you need to find a place. You need to get a job. You need to uh, register in school. You need to do this, 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 and that. And keep in mind, that's me coming from a background where, where I was living with my family. I had, uh, I had my mom doing my laundry for me, uh, cooking food for me. I had my car. I had everything. Like I was, you know, I was comfortable and the life was easy. And then I came here, a completely different country where I know nobody. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to do my laundry. I didn't know anything. And all those obligations got thrown at me all at once. And it was a bit stressful, but I had to go through it. You know, I had to learn and I did. And, you know, you just, you just, you just build your character through those experiences. Thinking of the second pillar that you mentioned going into public speaking, why do you think prior to setting that goal, you were so nervous to speak in public? I think it was due to like bad experiences I had in school. When I was when I was younger, I just couldn't speak in class much because I was afraid that I would say a wrong answer, that I didn't that I wouldn't really know what to say. I was always nervous if like the teacher would ask me to go on board and try to solve something. I was like, I don't want to mess it up and then people would laugh, nah 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 nah. And and that just it kept building up throughout the years that at one point, it just became who I am. Yeah, it's neat that you just brought up school because a big part of this podcast is bridging the concept of learning and education with mainstream media, be it podcast, video, blog, trying to bring them together a little bit. And so you just brought up some school experiences. Tell us a little bit about other things that maybe happened in school that kind of formed you into the person you are. I hated bullies and bullying in general. When I was in school, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I was friends with, with what you call like the popular kids, right? Uh, I, had, I had seven or eight friends and, and, you know, we were just running everything. But they were bullies. They didn't bully me. Like I was part of the group, right? They didn't bully me. But I saw them bully a lot of people. And one of my friends, he, uh, I still talk to him to this day. He might watch this episode maybe. He was coming from Australia. He was coming from Australia. He was new to school. And and they bullied him so hard. And I just couldn't stand it. And at one point, I just said, I said, no, like, stop. And I said, if you keep doing this, I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. I'm going to be friends with him. And that's what happened. I became friends with him. So then they started bullying me. And, and that chain... Even though it, you know, it didn't feel good that, you know, people were picking on you, but I knew deep down that I made the right choice. And years later, they ended up, you know, talking to me and saying, Hey, like, like, you know, something's happened in the past and we want to be friends again. They were a bit more mature and I was a bit more mature and it happened. But the experiences, they have an effect that 
that never leaves your mind, you know? It's always in the back of your head somewhere, somehow. But it shapes you. It shapes you. The reason the reason why I got into personal development transformation especially is because I know a lot of people can go through experiences, especially at a young age, especially at a young age, and it will have an effect and a toll on their lives in the future. And I couldn't stand seeing it when I was a kid, and I still can't stand seeing it as an adult. If I can do something about it, I would do something about it. No questions asked. You know? I think that's another example of you seeing a vision and a possibility and setting goals to put that in place. Um, what about maybe a positive experience or something you remember from when you were younger, learning something that has helped you in a positive way? I had a high school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Samia, and, and she loved me a lot. Uh, she loved me a lot. I still talk to her to this day. I was in grade 11, all right? And uh, the principal came into class and to give us our report cards. That's, that's how we used to go. And they do it in order. I don't know why they do it in order from like top report cards to the bottom. And we were about 30 students in the class. And like 10 report cards in, I didn't get mine. 15, 20, and I was like the 25th. And I failed a bunch of subjects, right? And Mrs. Samia, she was the teacher in the class when the principal was giving us the report cards. And back then, I was dating a girl in that class. Her name was Michelle. Um, and my report card was like the 25th or 24th, and hers was the 28th. So it's really, it's really true that, that birds of a feather flock together at the end of the day. And Justin, I, I, I remember that day really well. The principal left class, and she, Mrs. Samuel was staring at me for about 20 seconds. And then she said, in front of everybody, said, are you happy now? Are you happy? See what dating her did to you in front of everybody, in front of her. And then Michelle, you know, Michelle started, she wanted to talk. She's like, oh, what are you saying? This, this, and that. And she said, either shut up or get out. Right? And she said, Noah, I'll see you after class. And I was like, I'm in trouble. I was like, I'm in trouble. And I went to talk to her after class. And I said, look, like I really tried my best, this, this, and that. And what she said to me really hit me hard. She said, she said, look, you're saying you tried really hard and that it's just too hard that, you know, you just couldn't do it. You can lie to me all you want, but you can't lie to yourself. And, you know, sometimes you hear this and you're like, okay, sure, whatever. But when she said it to me, and I knew that she was somebody who really cared for me a lot. When she said it to me, I was like, I can't lie to myself. I can't lie to myself. And, and after that day, uh, you know, things changed drastically. I went from being bottom of the class, not to being top, but to being above average, to being in the top 10, top 15. And, and she did that change to not lie to myself and to believe in myself. And it was just really impactful what she said. Yeah. And it's clear that's stuck with you for life. Yeah. I think a big question that we have globally, because there may be little differences between Canada and other countries, but the fact of the matter is a lot of youth can learn very similar. It's such a globalized world. Um, what are some things that you think we should make sure we have in school at an age younger than maybe we have it right now? Guidance. 
guidance, proper guidance towards what people's passion really is. And I think we, and I think we talked about this uh, quite a bit the first time we met. Is and look, it's it's real. Like people go into college or into university. First year they change programs. Second year they change programs. Third year they change programs again. And then and then they end up in a program. And they finish it and they get a degree, but they're not convinced that this is the right program for them. And you see that the majority of people, they end up working in a different field than the field they got a degree in. And like, this says a lot. This, this speaks very loudly to me that if those people had proper guidance, I didn't. I didn't. I switched between a lot of programs. And if we had guidance when we were in school to not follow what society tells us to do and what our family's doing, but just to just do what we're really passionate about, what we really think we can we can make an impact with and guide us towards that properly. If schools can do this, I think things will be a lot different in the world. Yeah. And I think that probably leads right into my next question. And that's um, to tackle one of the things that frustrates me the most in the world of education is seeing schools that feel like they're operating well, because within their four walls, they are operating well, but so many youth in that geographical area are dropped out of school. They're not even showing up to class. They're not even in the building. They're maybe even homeless because they've been run out of their personal homes too. I think school could be a place for everybody to learn. Um, what do you think's missing that kind of drives these youth away from these schools? You can't force them. You can't force them into going to school. And most people are forced into going to school. When, when a kid wakes up and he's sick and he can't go to school, he stops becoming sick and he's so happy just because he's not going to school anymore. And it's the motivation. It's the, it's the source of motivation to, to motivate people. You know, you know, sometimes like on Wednesday, you're really excited to go to school. Why? Because you have classes you actually enjoy. But then on Monday and on Friday, you have history and geography. And I'm not saying they're not important. They are important. They're part of culture. But there's, there isn't this proper motivation that pushes you towards them. And then you end up saying, I would rather hang out with friends. I would rather do this. I would rather do that. What's really missing is this, is this incentive that, that, speaks, that speaks to students on a deeper level, deeper than just study or write an exam, get a good grade, graduate. They need something a lot deeper than that to really be motivated to go to school, you know? Yeah. And you referenced having the bad report card, having a teacher tell you to snap out of it, that you can achieve more. Obviously you turn things around to be a quite successful person. I know that we've seen the newspaper article. It says the next Tony Robbins, um, all of this kind of conversation around becoming an author, creating online courses, writing, uh, digital marketing, whatever it is that you do is for all intents and purposes successful. What do you think you did beyond the traditional schooling that's led you to becoming successful? 
I think I disregarded the schooling system. In a way, for me, it was limiting. When I was looking at when I was looking at the different programs, all right, I knew that my passion was speaking, communicating, and, and helping people in general. And there isn't a program that teaches you that. There's a program that teaches you how to be good at marketing, at finance, how to be a doctor, a surgeon, a software engineer. But there's this this little link that's missing there where you join a marketing program and then you start taking a bunch of classes. And again, I understand it is part of culture. It is part of culture. Taking a philosophy class when you join a, a business program is part of culture. But in today's world, if I spend if I spend a month instead of instead of spending four months going to class to a philosophy class and then writing an exam and getting a bad grade just because I didn't study, if I spend only one month every day for three to four hours watching YouTube documentaries on philosophy, I will have ten times more culture and more knowledge than people going four months to a philosophy class in a business or marketing program. The reason is the incentive is different. I'm not doing it to pass an exam and get a good grade. I'm doing it because I actually want to do it. Do you truly want to do it? And that makes all the difference. You know, when you actually want to do something and you're not forced into it. And so bringing up the idea of college university programs, um, that's obviously a natural next step for a lot of people still. Um, but there is a big culture of people believing that it's unnecessary. Where do you lie on that argument today? I wouldn't say it's unnecessary. I would say take a year off after you graduate from high school. Like, why, why are people in a rush? Why is everybody just trying to run? You know, somebody who's 17 years old and he's in college and then he ends up getting depressed a few months later and then going back home. Like I see that happening so much. Like it happens so often. And this year alone, this year alone, uh, how many cases of, of suicide were reported at the university of Ottawa, for example, was mind blowing for me. And they were, most of them were first year students. Like if they took a year off, if everybody just doesn't rush into school, take a year off, go try, go try to do something, go travel to Thailand and go backpacking and, and see what you actually want to do. Go try and start a business and see what you can do there. Don't rush yourself. Take some time off to really figure out what you want. You want to join a marketing program, spend three months as an intern, work for free for a marketing firm and see what it actually is before investing money and four years of your life into a program and then ending up four years later saying, you know what? I didn't, I don't really like the program. I don't really want to work in marketing. But that makes all the difference. Take a year off. No rush. One year, two years. Take some time off. Like people are, people are in a rush. I don't know why. I really don't know why. We don't want to go too far down the idea of speculating. We're not uh, trained psychologists, psychiatrists, but I think mental health is definitely something that's close to both of our um, passions and both of our hearts. 
when you, you speak to those uh, students developing depression as first year college learners, um, what do you think is is missing for them? And why do you think these frustrations happen? Justin, I've talked to hundreds of people who were going through similar stuff. There's depression or an anxiety or stress, mental health problems that are preventing them from moving forward. And I noticed that there is a pattern, that there is a pattern that most people have in common, which is they don't have a compelling vision. They don't have a compelling vision of the future. We have, we have our vivid sense of memory and we have our powerful imagination. If you use those to your advantage, things start to change. And I noticed that when people start envisioning their future and thinking that it's going to be, it's going to be bad. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be ugly. Obviously you're going to, you're going to start feeling, you're going to start feeling down. You're going to start feeling a bit depressed and a bit, you know, it happens. But when you're feeling down and you close your eyes for a second, and you think about where you can be in a year. You think about this future vision that's so compelling for you, that's, that moves you when you do this. And, and I'm not just, you know, this is not just, um, it's not just words, like, like it's science. When you do that, your entire body chemistry would change. So the idea of having a vision, you know, at first you're, I have my vision board right behind me. And the idea of having a life vision that's compelling, that's compelling and that moves you, I think is a pillar. I think is a big pillar that people need to focus on. What would be an example of ways to help craft that vision? Really take a piece of paper and take a pen. All right. Put your limitations aside. Let's say let's say a genie appeared in front of you and said, I can grant you as many wishes as you want. And then write down, write down how you would live your life if there were no limitations. And I'm not saying that you're going to achieve everything you wrote. All right. What I'm saying is our true limitation is right here. We limit ourselves. And when we, when we stop, when we separate ourselves from our subjective perception of the world, of what we can achieve and what we can't achieve, and we write down what we want, I promise, I've seen so many people doing this exercise, even when I was talking to them. And as they were writing, they started smiling more and more and more. When they finished it, they had this big smile on their face and they just couldn't shake it. And I'm like, what happened? I'm like, what happened? You were so sad three minutes ago. What happened? And they're like, I want this. Like, I want this. And I say, go get it. You know, just go get it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do with students when people ask, well, what's the one thing you love to do most? Give me your client avatar, so to speak. I'm like 19 year old, just got out of a jail, struggled with addiction, serious trauma, thinks they can't achieve anything hates themselves and thinks nobody likes them and nobody appreciates their skills and abilities sitting with them. Maybe nice weather would be good too at a park bench and mind mapping 
where they could go if they crush their goals. My favorite thing to do in the world. Um, so I hear what you're saying. I think one thing that we won't go too deep on, but that you do have a world of experience in is philosophy and meaning, which ties really closely to what we're talking about. Why do you think a little bit of an understanding in philosophy can help these people? Because it's, it's the basis of everything, really. Like every single branch of science started as a philosophical idea, right? And look, building a vision and dealing with problems and having, having a life vision and finding your passion, those are not easy things to do. It's not easy to find your passion. You need to be at a certain, at a certain cognitive level. You need to have certain knowledge. You need to, you need to adapt your brain to think in a way to be able to find those answers. And philosophy just does that perfectly for you because you can have a question, like a really weird question is time and illusion. It's time and illusion, right? And you go and you start reading what philosophers talked about time. And you start, when you do that, you don't just get the information, but you also get the way they're analyzing the information. And when you do it often, you start picking up the way they're analyzing information. And then you start using it in your life. And I think it's crucial because once you do that, then the questions you get in life and the answers you you kind of draw out of these questions are on a different level. It's definitely something that I think we could talk about for so long. You have a wealth of knowledge. I hope people get into your content in that area, especially things that you're writing and working on right now. It's pretty cool. Um, do you want to speak to your most recent publications in that area? The most recent publication is, is The Pursuit of Meaning. It's, it talks about the philosophy of life and existentialism. And I had a lot of positive reviews. A lot of people read it, and and you know it was it was absolutely mind blowing for me when people started started saying a lot of a lot of amazing things about it. So I decided to put it for free. So so right now it's free. Uh, whoever has an Amazon Kindle account, they can borrow the book for free and read it. Um, really, it's um, the reason you know when I wrote the book. The book is not simple, it's not easy to read, and it took me a long time to, to write it since English is not my first language. But I focused on introducing a lot of philosophical ideas. So when you read it, not only will you expand your, your, your cognitive horizon in terms of philosophy and culture, but you get to the end of the book with a good understanding of how you can find your passion or your meaning in life. And that's really what the book is about. Yeah, so that's just perfect thing for people to check out. Um, so what about other people's books? You mentioned The Secret earlier. What are some other books that you would recommend that tie this idea of life, meaning, and perhaps business together? Especially for people who are starting out, who are who just want to start, like, you know, this is not a book for people who are already established in their lives and whatnot. The book called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. You Awaken the Giant Within. It's an incredible book. I read it also when I was about 17 years old. And it, the, you know, the main thing it talks about is, is belief, is your belief. And, and really, 
And when people start changing their beliefs, uh, a lot of things start to change. So awaken the giant within is, is top of the list. I do. I used to have a lot of physical books. Now I got a, um, an Amazon device, so I just read on it, really. I think it's one of those things that actually brings us to a, a cool middle point in the podcast. I like to talk about digital debates or debating on topics. And one of these topics is the idea of consuming versus creating. I think that when people are starting out in the world of online business is something that they get torn between how to set up for success. So how do you feel when it comes to consuming other people's content like Tony Robbins book versus creating your own? They, they go hand in hand. Like, you know, life is about balance. Yang and yang, it's all about balance. If you're consuming all the time, and not creating, you're out of balance. If you're creating all the time and not consuming, you'll run out of creation. But when you're consuming and then you're taking whatever you consumed and then you get innovative and you get creative and then you create, you get into an infinite cycle. You consume, you create, you consume, you create, you create that perfect balance. You gotta, you gotta have the balance between consumption and creation. Really? Do you use any strategies to make sure that balance exists? Whenever, whenever I read books, first I highlight all the information. And as soon as I'm done with the book, I usually do a summary. So I summarize the book in about, like I usually do a mind map and then maybe one to two pages. And then I try to see how I can apply what I learned in my life. That's talking about nonfiction books, right? Uh-huh. And it worked. Like it really works really well. I see a lot of people, they read book over book. And I used to do that, by the way, when I was, when I was younger and I said, I want to read a book a week. I used to, I used to even finish like a book in a day or two days, but then ask me about that same book a year later. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, I read it. And you're like, okay, so what is it about? I'm like, um, I, I, I don't really know. I can't remember. And that, that makes, that makes a whole lot of difference. Yeah. Being able to anchor the, the memory to physically writing or taking notes can definitely be a good strategy. Yeah. What about when you were penning and writing for your own book? Did you set a specific amount of time in your schedule to commit to that? Yeah. Or what does that look like? Because obviously you get through writing a lot of pages pretty quickly. So I would, I would write every day at least once. And that's, that's big in goal setting, by the way. People usually set one goal. Uh, the way I do it is I set a minimal goal, I set an average goal, and I set an optimal goal. So the minimal goal was to write once a day, at least a page. And I would do that every day, you know, and it took me a year to write the book. So if, if, I, if I just did that, if I just wrote the minimum, like I'd have a book of 365 pages by the end of the year, which is crazy. And then, of course, sometimes you have more energy and then you write more and you write more. And, and that's the best strategy I usually use for, uh, for writing. I'm writing a book right now and that's what I do. So every night before I go to bed, at least that's the minimum, I would sit on my computer and write at least a page. Yeah, I like that. I know Jerry Seinfeld was asked about how he creates momentum in his work. And he said for him, it was a game changer when he decided to take out a calendar, a monthly calendar, and put an X every day that he worked on his craft. 
And his goal was to get that chain going as long as possible. Okay, so a few other debates that we see in the world of online business. So one is the concept of going niche, super niche and narrow. People say you need it for algorithms and analytics versus going broad and more general around your personal brand. It really depends. It really depends on what what you're doing and what you're trying to get into and how you're trying to get into it. Now, when people talk, you know, there's this book called The One Thing. Uh, I think it's uh, by Gary Keller. The book is amazing. But for me, working on one thing is not enough. And you never work on one thing. Like if you're working, if you're in marketing, all right, we'll take an example, marketing. You're not just working in marketing. You're working on Facebook ads. You're working on YouTube. You're working on Instagram. You're working on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Google ads. It's not one thing. But then you have people who go in marketing and they only focus on Google ads and Google analytics. All right. Now, now those people, they become experts in one thing. But the others who've been working on a lot of different things is going to take them more time because obviously they're working on a lot more things. It's going to take them more time. But if you've been working on Google ads for five years, you're at a point where there's nothing really new that you can learn. You learned everything. You applied everything. And now what? It's repetitive. But people who are learning a bunch of things at the same time, and that's what I usually like to do. There's always somewhere where you can push more, learn more, do more. And it makes it exciting. It makes it fun. It makes it fun. Because if you're working on the same thing every single day, it gets boring no matter how passionate you are about it. It gets boring. You're like, I want to do something else. Yeah, and it's interesting. I read the one thing. And I think that that's part that was lost on me too. If I had Gary Keller on a podcast episode, I would ask some follow-up details (laughs) because I do think what his intent was, was probably very accurate. And the reason I say that is because the only time that I heard an example in the book was when he said that his one thing was teaching. So imagine how broad that is, right? All the different things that have to go into that are varied. And I think when he said that making sure that no matter what you do, is connected to your one thing. So if your one thing was business, then so long as everything's related to it during your work hours is what's important, not getting sidetracked by something outside of the world of business. So I think we're a lot closer, all of us, in that belief yep. than far apart. But I did find that that was a little bit of a, an annoying thing in terms of reading that that book. Absolutely. It's a little bit similar, but different. Uh, The idea of when you're starting out in the world of social media, because we're thinking about, you know, youth who maybe haven't started their Instagram account in the area of fitness, let's say, because they just haven't started their online business, but they're about to jump in and they're nervous about quality versus quantity. What would you say to them? Quality is important and quantity is important. But at the end of the day, If you go into social media and you're aiming to to predicate your success upon how many likes you're getting, don't get into the game. Don't get into the game. Because you're not going to get recognition until you've been adding value on a certain platform for a while. 
once you've been consistent enough, and Gary Vee talks about this a lot, he did maybe like a thousand YouTube videos and barely got any views. And then at one point, it broke through and he started getting bigger and bigger, you know? So regardless of the quality at first, regardless of the quantity, if you want to start a social media account when it's not personal, it's not just about you, and you want to start an Instagram account to actually build something, to build a business or build a brand or build something you're passionate about, make sure you're doing it because you just, you just love it because you just love doing it. Not just because you want to get people to like your stuff. Be in it for the right reasons. Yeah. And another debate that we hear a lot is the idea that it's important to plant flags on all of your platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We could go on, obviously, versus the idea of really focusing on one and building out from there. How do you feel about that? Focusing on one. I focused, I focused on Udemy, which, is, uh, which most people you know, won't do that because obviously it was related to my work. But I grew Udemy to, uh, to such an extent. Uh, I'm almost at 100,000 on Udemy. And then I leveraged Udemy to grow my YouTube, to grow my Instagram, to grow everything else. And it was much easier if I had divided that work into all the different platforms. I would have been maybe at 20,000 on Udemy and, and I'd be a lot less on, on all the, the other platforms. So really focusing the energy on one platform is crucial at first. Because people often don't know when they're first starting, I know you mentioned don't get into the game for numbers of followers and likes, which I 100% agree with, but you did just reference the number of followers. Why is it of benefit to have an audience that's larger? to track your progress and track your momentum. Because look, Udemy got to 100,000, but that's me working on Udemy every single day. There isn't a day that passes by that I don't work on Udemy, whether I answer questions or I upload something new, I'll put an article. Three years, three years. And I never did it to say, I want to accumulate as many students as I can, as many followers as I can. You know, I, I, I put this comment on your Instagram post the other day that growth is a consequence of value. It really is. Growth was never my intention. I never wanted to blow up on Udemy. I never wanted to blow up on Instagram. I'm not that big anyway. It was never my, my purpose. It was never my aim. It was a result of, of the work and the value I had to be. Adding value first. Yeah. Like that. And the growth as a way to track that value. Okay, so the last kind of digital debate that I like to talk about is the idea of giving as much of this value away for free versus monetizing the work you're doing. At first, I had, a pro I had an approach where I wanted to monetize whatever I'm doing. Because I was like, I was like, you know, I put in like, I don't know, two, three, four hundred hours into my book. And then I want to put it for free. Like, it doesn't make sense. But then I was like, what are you even thinking about? Because you want to monetize stuff and you're thinking about short term. You're thinking about short term. But it's not about that. It's not about that. What I really found out was when I put a course for free, I get a thousand people enrolled in a month instead of 50. Out of those thousand, when I gave them value for free, they're going to go and buy something from me that adds more value to their lives. 
But when I didn't give them anything for free, they were like, oh, this guy just wants to make money. And when my perspective changed on that, I was like, and, and keep in mind, it wasn't, it wasn't like a strategy that I came up with. I was like, oh, I was going to put my stuff for free and then redirect my students there. I just, at one point, um, sales were down. And that's, you know, I did the complete opposite of what most people do. And, and it was inspired by Tony Robbins. I just said, you know what? All right, sales are down. I'm going to put half of my courses for free. I don't care. And I did. And sales went up and I was like, wait, what? Like, Justin, really, at first, I, I, I couldn't believe what was happening. I was like, I was like, wait, I had about 30 courses then. Now I have about 70. And I put maybe 15 of them for free. And then I log in a few days later and like sales are going up. And I'm like, how? I'm like, what's happening? And I started getting all those positive reviews and this and that and people contacting me. And I was like, wow, really? Add value. Don't monetize at first. Don't monetize until you really know that what you're giving is valuable to people. Once you do, then you can monetize. So the kid who's starting out in the game of online business, who's thinking like, well, I have bills to pay. I want the ability to invest in my business, buy a microphone, whatever it is. What advice do you give to them when they're, when they feel that tension? Give something for free. Whether it's a seven day free trial, whether it's a, if you're making a course, divide it, split it in two and put like an hour of it for free. And then if people like it, they can buy the full course. If you're doing a course, if you're writing a book, for example, make a little small ebook that summarizes the book and put it out for free, you know? Right. And then when people read it and they actually think it's valuable, they will go and buy your book. Don't put everything for free, obviously, because because they need to pay their bills. They need to make money to to start working on their business. But it's the small difference they make there um, that can really change the game for them. Yeah, that's a good tip. The purpose of this podcast, really, when it comes down to it, is to bridge learning and education with mainstream media. We talked about that, hence the podcast or video or blogs. So many youth that I meet over the years want to be that next online entrepreneur. They want to crush it in business. And they're very vulnerable to falling prey to the snake oil salesmen who are giving them the ebook that adds no value, the course that's $600 and they learn less than they could learn from this podcast episode. So I want to take a little dive down some of the, the technical aspects of things that you do to bring value to them. So since we're on the topic of course creation, maybe if kid wants to start creating courses, what would be your first pointers in that area specifically? Go on Google and look for how to create a successful online course. You'll have a million results for free that would give you so much more value than the value you would get if you bought the course. The only difference, the only difference a course makes and, you know, when I was first starting most of my courses, the only difference is that I'm taking the information out of books and, and, and the internet, organizing it. And it's, it's an easy way for people to access the information. So be patient. You don't need to pay $600 for a course unless there's somebody who created like 
who developed a new formula that's not available online, then I can understand the investment. Otherwise, you can find everything you need online for free. Go look for it, even if it takes a bit more time, learn it, and then crush it. Just crush it. Now, what about teaching tips within that course like that you employ? Obviously, different teachers have different strategies, but in terms of making that the the most effective teaching course, what are things that you do? Really, I just start with like a, like brainstorming ideas, just brainstorming ideas. When you want to create an online course and people, uh, people think this in reverse, they start thinking about the course instead of thinking where they want people to be when they finish the course. So that's usually how I started. I'm like, okay, what do I want people to achieve out of this course? And I write this down in the middle of my mind map. And then I start building my course around it. Always focus on what you want to give people out of the course, not what you want to give to people. Right. The journey. Yeah, the journey. Absolutely. And um, would you suggest using something like Udemy as a good place to start building courses? To start building courses, Udemy is, is a very good place to start. Skillshare is also a very good place to start. Uh, Learnfly.com is a very good place to start. And, and really, like for any like courses or uh, blogs, uh, there are platforms where you can, you can write and you can, and you can create and you can eventually monetize. And they work well. But in the long run, when you start creating uh, your own work, it's a better idea to have your separate platform. But that's down in the future. Let's focus on step by step at first. Have you taken any courses yourself that you've liked? Yeah. I've taken a sales course by Tony Robbins online. I loved it. Like Tony is just really good at what he does. I bought a bunch of courses on Udemy. Uh, Some of them were good. Some of them weren't as good. Almost none of them were astonishing. Uh, Not in terms of value, like there's a lot of value, but in terms of quality. So most of my courses on Udemy as well, they're presentations. So it's a presentation and I'm talking, I'm explaining what's written in the presentation. So in terms of value, uh, Tony Robbins has a bunch of courses and they're not really expensive. You know, if you want to attend his event, it's like $5,000, but then his online courses are like 200 bucks. That's a bunch of them. And, uh, and I bought, and I bought that. And then I bought the personal transformation course from him as well. And I love, I love what he teaches. Is his course, so obviously you liked it. You think it's good value on $200. Is it set up like a video and then a written word and video, video and written word. And, and you know, if, if people are looking to expand their knowledge in that area, get a subscription uh, to, you know, the masterclass platform. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. I, I got my subscription. It was like 240 bucks. And from the first class I took, Justin, I promise, it was by Christopher Voss. He's an FBI investigator who teaches the art of negotiation. I watched the first three lectures and I was like, I was like, I just got my money back. I just got the value of my money right here. And they teach a lot of different things. So especially for like young students starting off who need to build their culture and their knowledge in the world and just learn a bunch of different things. Masterclass is, is 
the place to be. I think that's something that's fascinating. You just said it is that it's that value, right? Um, because yeah. if you think of comparing online course creation, how we're talking about it right now versus people paying upwards of $100,000 for a university education in, in certain places, or, you know, let's face it, at least $5,000 a semester or $1,000 a course. To me, it's a no brainer. $200 for Tony Robbins to teach you sales. But it's about that that value versus what it is, not what the actual price is. Yeah. So let's talk writing a little bit. You've done a lot of digital books. You have the new one out. People should check out. What's kind of the, the workflow for getting those digital books out into the world? At first, it was messy. At first, it was messy. I, will, I would just write... I would like talk to somebody and I'd and I'd figure out a problem and then I'd write about it. And then afterwards I'll try to organize everything together. And uh, now I'm writing a new book called The State of Creation. And this is a lot more organized. Uh, before I started the book, I did I did a whole brainstorming session for about a week. I just put all my ideas on my whiteboard. And then I started linking the ideas. I was like, okay, chapter one, I'm going to talk about this idea and that idea. Chapter two, this and that. And then when I, when I finished that, I didn't just end it there. That was, those were ideas. Then uh, on another side, on a piece of paper, I wrote down stories. So what stories I wanted to talk about. And I wrote a bunch of stories that had an impact on me in my life that I learned the lesson from. And then I was like, okay, this story, chapter one, this story, chapter two, that and da da and the same thing for exercises and formulas and systems. And, and even though it took me a week, but now I would sit down, I'd literally just open my notebook, I would look at what chapter I'm in, what I haven't covered yet, and I would start, start writing about it. So it's, it's a fascinating way to really write a book, just organize everything. In terms of somebody not knowing how to upload the book or like some of the techie processes, they could Google it. But what are some tips that you might give in terms of the process to make a digital book? Download the Amazon Kindle app. That's it. On your computer, you literally, you would write your book and the app would do everything for you. They would organize the book and they would just give you the digital product ready and published on Amazon. It doesn't get easier than that. It's free. It's free. Makes it simple enough. Yeah. If you create the online course, you have the book, you've got some content out for free, you're starting to build your business and you want to start marketing it. What tricks would you tell people to start being able to market their business? They need some time to test their marketing strategies. Uh, and that's really something I didn't do at first. I started my first company when I was like 18 years old. I remember really well, I put one Facebook ad and I put like a $20 budget and then I got almost uh, no impressions and I didn't get any sales. And I, and I spent, imagine I spent four months working on this project and then $20 in marketing. And then it didn't work. I was like, oh, nobody likes it. I guess I'm just going to drop it. Four years later, and I started working on other businesses and I launched my first ad and it didn't perform well. I did something different. I refined the ads and then I put it there again. And it didn't work. And then again, and again, and again, and I kept refining it to a point where now I have ads running. I have ads running all the time. And I get like um, a point zero one dollars per click, which is 
insane, but I spent a lot of money to get to that point. So when you when you start growing your business and you want to start expanding, if you launch a marketing strategy and it doesn't work, it doesn't mean that your business is not working, that your business idea is not good. It just means that your marketing strategy wasn't as good as you hoped to be. So refine it and test again, refine it and test again until it works. That's the best advice you can give for everything, right? Like win or learn and continue to learn no matter what. Yes. So I always like giving one little scenario that ties a lot of the things that we talk about together. Um, so in this scenario, you have an opportunity to be a guest teacher for me for an afternoon. Um, you go into a jail and you meet, let's say, 18-year-old male who gets out of jail in six months. He wants to build a YouTube channel and a business on his passion for cars and hip hop. How do you coach him on whether or not it's possible when a lot of people tell him it's not realistic and what steps to take? I would let him speak a lot more than I would. Even though I'm doing the coaching, I'd be mostly listening. Because in his situation, he first needs somebody to listen. Most people who get in such situations, they've been told what to do and what not to do most of their lives. And rarely did they have somebody sit down and genuinely be interested in listening to them. And he's going to tell me about everything. And, and I don't know exactly what I'm going to say in between, but I know that, that the last thing I'm going to say to him or her is that no matter what people say to you, that I believe in you. I believe in you. That's something most people in those situations never heard before. Nobody ever told them that they believed in them. And therefore, they didn't believe in themselves. And they sometimes just need one single person to tell them that they believe in them. And then they start believing in themselves. And when they start believing in themselves, they start changing things and they start working on things and they start changing their lives, really. Definitely the absolute most important part. And as they buy in and they say, okay, Noah, I'm so grateful that you believe in me. I believe in myself now. What should I do to get started? What would you give them in terms of steps they could take? I had, I had a coaching session today, maybe three, four hours ago. And, uh, and the guy wants to be, he's from Colombia, and he wants to be one of the top civil engineers. Uh, he wants to have one of the top civil engineering companies in the country, in Colombia. And I literally said this to him, go on Google and write down how to start a civil engineering business. And that's what I would say to everybody. They, if he wants to start you know, doing a YouTube channel related to hip hop or whatever he wants, I have no idea how he can do that and promote it. But what I know is there's a lot of people on Google and on YouTube who can show him how to do it. And when he knows the steps, when I come to you and I tell you, first, you need to do this, and then you need to do that, and then you need to do that, then you have your steps in front of you then you start getting encouraged. Really, just Google it. Just Google it. Yeah, self-learning. I think that's been a consistent theme throughout this. Believing in yourself, finding meaning, and self-learning can't be underestimated. In terms of being a good listener, I like listening and hearing other people's stories too. What's your big v vision? What's your big goal for, for the future for Noah? 
the next Tony Robbins, the next Tony Robbins. It's funny that, that they mentioned it in the article because uh, because it was in the back of my head. I have Tony on my vision board and that ties up to everything we said. It really just started it. It started in my head four years ago and I'm really not going to stop until I get there. That's, that's the big vision. And it's neat too that you mentioned your coaching session earlier in the day. Something that I used to struggle with as an online coach myself is that in the fitness industry, I could easily see, well, you need me to help you work out because you don't know what you're doing. It's not safe, all this kinds of stuff. In the internet world, I struggled with the idea of doing coaching for a while because I thought there's this ocean of learning on YouTube, on Google, Udemy, doesn't matter. You can go anywhere and find the knowledge people need. But what I've learned now and what it sounds like you're helping your coaching clients with too, is that they need the curation of that. They need it kind of packaged for them to help guide them where to find it and just to keep them going, the support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I have four questions that I like to ask people that are the same and it ties all the interviews together. So I'll go fairly quick through them. Number one is you're leaving a piece of advice for the next generation. What's that one piece overarching that you're making sure to leave behind? Get the idea that limitations are a thing out of your head. Believe in yourself and achieve everything you want to achieve. One thing that you yourself are learning right now. I'm learning right now is the importance of daily habits. The importance of daily habits. What you do every single day will dictate who you become in the future. How are you learning that, do you find? It's just some little, little tiny habits that I started changing. Instead of taking a, a warm shower, I started taking a cold shower. Instead of going to the washroom and spending time on my phone scrolling through Instagram, I have an app called Peak that trains the brain, little brain games with memory and agility and emotions and all that. And it's, it's those little changes that I'm adding, journaling, meditation, little changes that I'm adding every now and then. And I promise they add up, they add up, and you become a different person as a result of those habits. All right. And this next one, to flip the script, you get to ask me a question. What question would you ask me that you think could help people? Why are you so passionate about what you're doing, about teaching and about learning? Goes back to what we've talked about throughout this episode is the idea of people's mental health and just doing my little part to, in the end, support as many people as possible with living with vitality, um, with having perspective and meaning in their lives. Um, And I think that I've learned over the years that that doesn't just happen by happenstance. People need coaches and guides and teachers to help them learn it. Um, So there's that middle sort of how and what, um, but ultimately it's to help more people improve their mental health for sure. And another little thing I think is leaving legacy for my daughters in terms of like, this is how you can lead that life where you don't really care what other people think. You do what you want to do and crush your dreams, showing that it's possible for my daughters or my students and clients for sure is why I do it. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and finally, where and why should people find you online? Instagram or my website. Like right now, I'm moving everything to my website. Best way to reach me, just go on my website. You'll find everything you need. 
and uh, you can contact me there. Email, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you want. NoahMaraby.com. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, thank you, Justin. Yeah, of course. The Talking with you about philosophy, business, education, life are things that we could do as like a 10-part series. But even just this one big episode will have a lot of impact for people. So thanks. Good to share, share ideas and talk every now and then. So, uh, so thanks for the experience, man. Of course. 10-part series. We'll probably have a, have a next episode soon. Just let me know when I'm ready. All right. Me too. Such a great episode. I hope these really help you or someone you know. It's hard to get all these amazing stories out to the world, so please do pass this along. Thank you to our guest, Noah. He's a great leader in the world of entrepreneurship, but of course, most importantly, he's a good person. It's their goal to have this in every school in the world, so please do subscribe, leave a review, but most importantly, pass it on to someone who could benefit from the show. Until the next episode of The Learned Podcast, all the best, and remember, just keep learning.